Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, this week we finish up our series, Empowered Living, Volume 3, God's Glorious Resources for Living, with a message entitled, True Love for Men. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 32, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Today I want to speak to men, married men, also to single men, who may one day be married men. I want to speak about your love life. Now, I know that's sensitive because not all of us are good lovers, but lest you feel too sensitive, I have some great news. If you listen to the Lord Jesus Christ and become obedient to him, you'll become a great lover. Now, that may get some wives to pay attention as well. See, what our society thinks are the best lovers are in fact the worst of lovers. James Bond is a horrible lover because he simply loves them and leaves them. Some men believe that being a true man involves exploits with women. I don't know too many women who want to be exploited. You know, other men believe that a good lover has something to do with, you know, your good looks or some very fancy technique you've got going. Listen, men, none of that has anything to do with being a great lover. I have in this study already covered Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. There we learned that wives were to submit to their husbands. And so we might expect that the compliment would be that men should exercise leadership over their wives. But the Apostle Paul doesn't say that. He never tells men to exercise headship. Yep, he affirms the leadership of men in marriage. But when speaking to men, he says, love your wives. So let's begin by reading Ephesians 5.25a. Husbands, love your wives, it says. And that it's, that's a tall order. Let me tell you of my dad. You know, I grew up watching him love my mom. And I came to believe he was a lover. If I ever wanted to know how to treat a woman, I just looked at the way my dad treated my mom. You know, as kids, we always knew that my dad was openly affectionate towards mom. He complimented her. He held hands with her. He hugged and he kissed her often. There was no one he'd rather be with than my mom. He defended her, especially from us kids. I mean, if we ever criticized mom, dad would come after us. I mean, after all, no one took advantage of his lover. And one of the greatest lessons I learned from them was the way they worked out their differences. Dad never threatened to leave mom. Dad never yelled at her. Dad was always gentle and tender towards her. I I don't ever remember him even raising his voice in argument. It just never happened. By God's grace, that's my heritage. No one in Hollywood has even the slightest idea of what I'm talking about. Now, sadly enough, many men don't have what I have. With the growth of single-parent families, many men simply will never see a daily example of true romantic love in their home. And on top of that, many marriages are simply not what they should be. Many men abuse their wives. Many men neglect their wives. Many men spend their lives ridiculing their wives and holding them in low esteem. Many men simply don't love their wives. Stories told of a husband and a wife who were lying in bed. A tornado touched down on the roof of their house. It sucked the roof off and they were instantly launched into the air. They clung to each other and the wife started to cry and the husband said, honey, don't cry. And the wife said, I can't stop crying. I'm so happy. It's the first time we've been out together in 20 years. (laughs) You see, men, regardless of your role model, I've got great news. You have a great role model in Jesus. Learning to be a lover of your wife is learned through imitating Jesus. So let's read Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, this image is not a strange one at all. In the Bible, the image of marriage is frequently an image of God's love for his people. The book of Hosea tells the story of a woman named Gomer. God tells Hosea to go and marry her. Their marriage is a role play made to show God's love for an unfaithful people. Or in Mark 2, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom, his disciples as the bride. Or in Revelation 19, verse 7, it tells us about our welcome reception in heaven. It says in verse 7, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So you see, the image of marriage is an image that God often presents when displaying his love relationship with his people. Now, Paul uses that same image to teach men how to love their wives. He simply tells them that if we need a mentor, if we need help, Jesus will teach us. There are in this passage four features that if you do them, you'll quite simply become a great lover. I mean, these four principles, I promise, will revitalize and revolutionize your marriage and bring you into the realm of ecstasy. But before I go further, let me speak quite directly to married men. Some of you have a great marriage. You're madly in love with the woman you committed yourself to on your wedding day. Your love has deepened, it's grown, and and you want to learn anything that you can to make it even better. What I say to you today will just encourage you. But there are all kinds of marriages. You know, some of you love your wives, but the marriage is a bit rocky. It's not as if you had ever dreamed that it would turn out that way. See, some of you are struggling over finances, and that's created fights in your home. Some of you have encountered strains in how to raise your kids, and some of you have kids that are out of control. And some of you are right now working through a major disagreement. And some of you are not sure if your marriage is going to survive. Some of you are planning to leave your wives, and and some of you already have. Some of you right now know that if you carry on with a certain woman in the way that you are, you're going to be having an affair. You're standing at the foot of a bridge that leads to adultery, and you wonder whether you should set foot on it. Some of you have already crossed that bridge. Let me say to you, if you let him... Jesus will forgive your sin and make you a man of love to the woman to whom you made a sacred vow. You say, why should I? You know, I could do better with another woman. Listen to me. Here's the answer. You can't walk away from her and remain faithful to Christ. So let's learn from Jesus, shall we? First, true love involves a spirit of sacrifice. We found that in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is clearly a reference to the cross, and it's important to see just how Christ loved us on the cross. Listen to what Paul teaches us in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, because there he tells us that our attitude should be like Jesus, who was always in the form of God, but who humbled himself and refused to use his status to his advantage. 
See, let me give you three characteristics of sacrificial love. First of all, love is humble, or love requires humility. Christ's love led him from the glorious throne of heaven to the harsh and barren cross of Calvary. There's nothing glamorous about it. The cross is humiliation. Secondly, love is obedience. That is, Jesus denied himself so much that he sweated great drops of blood to get himself to submit and obey his Father. That's sacrificial obedience. And thirdly, love requires personal sacrifice. So let me try to make this as practical as I know how. Most of the images of love that are portrayed in our society are what we might call object-oriented love. That is, we love because a person is attractive or a person has a great personality, a person is fun-loving, maybe they have a lot of money, or maybe they're well-educated, or they have power and prestige and are admired by many. I mean, you name it. It's called object-oriented love because the object of our love is worthy of our love, and we're attracted to the kind of person that we see that person to be. Please understand that God's love is not of that sort. Jesus loves us not because he sees us as worthy objects of his love, but because love is of the very nature and essence of God. And that kind of love requires humility and obedience and sacrifice. So imagine with me, if you will, a 30-year-old young man. He's been married for five years to an attractive and capable and vibrant and career-oriented young woman. And everyone says, wow, that guy landed her. And then comes the news. She's got breast cancer. She requires surgery. Then comes the second piece of bad news. The cancer has metastasized. Now she needs surgery and chemotherapy. The light that once danced in her eyes now reflects pain and sorrow. And suddenly, she becomes a very different woman than the one he married. And it's at that point in time that we begin to find out what true love actually looks like. As time speeds by, it's even more important that we consider how we live. That's why I'm so grateful for friends like you who walk with us verse by verse through the Bible. The encouragement we received recently from Ruth reminds us of how precious this is. Dr. John's teachings are fascinating and really bring the Bible to life for me. I can almost visualize the scenes in my mind like watching a movie when I listen to him. I usually listen to the radio program at work and end up going home and rereading the passage you spoke about that day, and every time I see it through different eyes. What a great way to use the time we've been given. With minds transformed by the washing of God's Word, we're given different eyes and God's own heart to see the world we live in. If you'd like to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at one 800 663 2425. I'm sorry to tell you that I've known men who've walked away from sick women. I've also known men who've stayed and served and cared for and prayed for and made meals for and loved. Now, what was the difference? The difference was that at some point in time, they went from object-oriented love to Christ's sacrificial love. And if you're going to be a lover, that's what you must do. 
If you can't do that for the woman you stood with at the altar, don't you fantasize about another. You won't do that for her either. Men, God wants us, just like Jesus, to give ourselves up for our wives. We must deny ourselves of something for the sake of our wives. Maybe you'll deny yourself the automobile of your dreams to give your wife a chance to get back to school. Maybe you'll simply take care of the kids for a weekend to allow your wife to go on a retreat, even though you had to forego a hockey game with your buddy. And the only reason you do that, the only reason, is for her good. And when you did it, not because you had to compromise, but because you were concerned for her welfare, that was love. True love involved a spirit of sacrifice. Second, true love looks for an outcome of purity. You see, verses 26 and 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, if you read these verses carefully, they'll tell you the purpose of Christ's sacrificial love. Christ was always interested in the end product. He had in mind a church without spot or wrinkle. A great many commentators have pointed out that there's actually a double meaning here. On the one hand is the bride getting ready for the wedding day. She takes a bath, she dresses in a beautiful gown, no spot, no stain, no wrinkle in the dress. Uh, She would never show up with, you know, a big coffee stain on the front of her wedding dress. She'd never show up in curlers, wearing a house coat and big bunny slippers. She will show up on that day in a way he's never seen her before. Everything will be just right. But the real meaning here is Christ in his bride, the church. This bride cannot make herself beautiful. She's stained with sin. She has no beauty of herself. And so Christ sets out to make her ready for her wedding day. He washes her. She must be made pure from her sin. And his death on the cross was for her forgiveness. He bathes her with his word, for his word is holy. He wants her without blemish, so he, according to Ephesians 1 verse 3, blesses her in the spiritual realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All his sacrifice was for a purpose. Jesus envisions a day when he will be married to his bride, the church, at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We will be beautiful. The application is easy. Husbands are to be concerned with the spiritual well-being of their wives. Husbands, let me ask you, do you pray for her? We should be praying for her every day. We ought to provide for her with every opportunity to grow in Christ. When we're engaged, it was our call to make sure that she remained sexually pure. And when we're married, it's our call to continue to nurture her spiritual life. You see, men, you owe it to your wives to stay in step with the Spirit. If God has called you to take leadership in your home, it's surely a call to nurture your own spiritual development as a model for your wife. You see, one of the great tragedies is how many women have to lead in their homes simply because their husbands don't and won't. Love involves a spirit of sacrifice. Love looks for an outcome of purity. And third, true love involves care and value. Verses 28 to 30, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. See, at this point, we do well to ponder the meaning of that statement. We are told that we are to love our wives as our own bodies. And I know that we live in a day when we are more body conscious than ever before. The fashion and movie industry have made us all conscious that we might have a few too many pounds in our midsection, that our legs are too short, our our noses are too long, our foreheads are too broad. 
And it's been shown that the more a culture is exposed to TV and the media, the more they become body conscious. And a lot of this simply feeds human vanity and pride. But there's a good way to be body conscious. You know, I'm now talking about proper care for our bodies, which includes healthy eating, a proper night's rest, reasonable exercise, and the like. And if the truth were told, we all take care of our bodies some less well than others. Very few people allow themselves to starve to death. In fact, at a deep fundamental level, we all cherish our bodies. We value and prize our bodies highly. We watch when crossing the street. We don't want our bodies to be damaged. And when there's a flu or something worse going around, we say, you know, I hope I don't catch that because we're all concerned that our bodies are not invaded with disease. And if we notice a growth on our body that ought not to be there, we treat that with alarm because we value our bodies. And that's how husbands should be concerned for their wives. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm often so concerned with my concerns, I find myself not listening to Kathy, my wife. I'm ashamed that many times I'll spend an evening talking about the things that are on my mind and not hearing the things that are on hers. It's not love. I ought to be listening to her needs and her concerns. I ought to value her concerns as much as my own. I ought to give her my full attention. So here's a test for all men. Number one, what's your wife's favorite leisure activity? Number two, what's your wife's favorite food? Number three, what does your wife love to read? Number four, what's your wife's biggest concern? You see, the things that are precious to her, well, they ought to be precious to you. And that's what it means to love her as yourself. It's love. It's the spirit of sacrifice. It looks for an outcome of purity. It values and it cares. And finally, fourth, true love is enduring and unbreakable. Verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. When Paul speaks of one flesh, he's repeating the words of Jesus. You know, in Mark 10, 2-9, some Pharisees came to Jesus asking about divorce, and, and Jesus then responds that Moses permitted divorce because the hearts of God's people were hard. They were unresponsive to God. But, said Jesus, this is not God's intent. Jesus said that a man will leave his father and mother, and then he added, the two will become one flesh, and then he concluded, they are no longer two but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You see, Jesus taught that the one flesh principle in marriage meant that marriage was enduring and unbreakable. The only reason there can ever be a divorce is due to the hardening of the heart. See, I know that in some cases, one partner hardens the heart while the other tries to reconcile, and then it's to no avail. And I'm not here to condemn those who have tried to save their marriage only to be met with the hardness from the other. But it is amazing what true love can do. I've seen impossible marriages healed, and I could spend hours simply telling those stories. It is what can happen. But again, I don't seek to bring condemnation to those who have longed for it, and then it didn't happen. But the one flesh principle is the principle of a man and a woman moving forward in life as one in an unbreakable union. So let's go to verses 32 and 33. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And that is the conclusion. In Christian marriage, let all husbands and wives hear this and hear it carefully. You have a calling from God. 
so that your marriage is a profound reenactment. It's a role play. You're demonstrating between you, the both of you, the relationship between Christ and his church. That's your calling from God. That's what your marriage was meant to represent. That's why you're married. And that's the greatest challenge that you'll have in your life. See, what's the ultimate purpose of marriage? No, it's not satisfaction. And look, I'm not saying that healthy marriages are not satisfying. They are. And I'm going to also say that the ultimate purpose of your marriage is not happiness. And and it's not children, although all of these things surely grace the love of a husband and a wife. They are the gifts of God, and we celebrate them. But ultimately, you're united to express the greatest mystery of the ages. Husbands, love your wives, taking as your role model the sacrificial love of your Savior. Be that for your wives. And wives, bring to your husband that one thing that will mean more to him than everything else that you can offer him, including a sexy nighty. Bring to him what his heart craves desperately. Bring him your respect. And when you do, testify to the world that there's a Savior who loved his bride and that this Savior has done this in your marriage. That's your sacred call from God. Thanks so much, John. You know, John, I find it true in many areas of my life, but including marriage. But what should be the foundation of how we live, how we interact, what we value? I think it's so important, Ben, that when we think about the foundation for our own marriage, the, the, the place where we must rest is not, first of all, in our feelings towards one another, but rather in what God has uh, put together, what God has wrought when he brought about a man and a woman and created the institution of marriage. Why does that institution exist? And once we discover God's purpose in the institution, then we recognize that his purpose has to become our purpose, and therefore, that's how we begin by relating to each other. So I think that love flows out of that. Now, now here's something that Kathy and I say to each other once in a while. Look, we're in this for life, so you know we can either be miserable or we can be in love. Let's be in love because we're going to do this for the rest of our lives. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Empowered Living, Volume 3, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This month, we're encouraging you to request Dr. John's series, The Time of Your Life, as our free gift to you. As you listen and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time we're given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. Studying the Bible makes a difference. One listener wrote, My prayer for Back to the Bible Canada, God willing and God permitting, is to concentrate all efforts to affirm believers and to speak to the young generation. The times we are living in demand it. As always, we're so grateful for your gifts that enable trustworthy Bible teaching to be shared day after day in your community, across Canada, and around the world. You sustain this ministry. To request the time of your life or make a gift to support Bible teaching, call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or visit backtothebible.ca.